0: Hey, hey, remarkable people, this is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. Aubrey and I knew each other or we met each other when she actually took my job at Jordan Middle School. So I was teaching and then I left and Aubrey was the new hire. And so I before I left for California, she came over and I gave her some of the things that I had from teaching. And that's when we met. And then I came back to Mount Jordan Middle School after that year. and Aubrey and I became content partners and we both taught world civilizations at Mount Jordan Middle School. And Aubrey is the bomb. She is an extremely likable person. She is very talented at connecting with her students. And of course, she is highly intelligent, and she has so many good ideas. So I'm so excited for her to share her wisdom about teaching and business school that she's been doing together at this same time, people. How do people do these things? But Aubrey does it. So Aubrey, start us off today and tell us how you got into teaching and then business school. Thank you for that intro, Tracy. Um, Honestly, I just
1: also want to say I wouldn't have survived my first year of teaching without you because you gave me so much help. So thank you for that. I always wanted to be a teacher. That was always my plan since I was a little kid. I had a lot of teachers in my family and I would play school as a kid with my siblings. I love my teachers. I wanted to be like them. So I always wanted to be a teacher. That was always the plan. And then as far as business school, it was kind of a funny story, actually, how I chose that because I was thinking about what I wanted to do for my master's while I was still getting my undergrad. I always wanted to get a master's. I just didn't know in what, and I didn't want to do an education master's because I was already bored with my undergrad education classes. Like I love teaching. I love actually doing it, but I don't love sitting in a classroom talking about it. So my friend was on, was in the MBA program at the U. And she got injured or she was going to be on this Ragnar team and she got injured or something. So I had to take her spot and I didn't know anyone on the team. It was just me in a van for two days with a bunch of dudes in their thirties, married, they have kids. And I thought it would be really weird and awkward, but it was actually super fun and chill. And they were all really nice. And they teased me a lot about being at BYU because they're at the University of Utah, but They teased me and they told me I should join the MBA program. And so at at one point we were all stopped on our little sleeping break and we were lying on the gym floor in a high school. And so i was super sleep deprived, just lying there in the dark, trying to sleep. And I was like, maybe I will apply for the MBA program. I think that's what I should do. And it was just a weird experience because the next morning it felt like it was a dream. I couldn't even remember if that was a real thought or not, but that's what I decided to do. And um, as I started looking for master's programs to apply to, the MBA was the only thing that really caught my attention. just sounded super interesting. sounded like it could be really useful. And so I applied and I got in and here I am.
0: I'm curious, how is getting your MBA and teaching at the same time helping you see education differently?
1: There are a few things I've thought about pretty often as I've been going through the program. And one of them is efficiency because that's a huge topic in business. So we have, uh, for example, we have an operations management class and you talk about the production processes and finding bottlenecks in your production process and figuring out how to make things run as smoothly as possible so you can make a profit. and This has helped me see education differently because I think there are a lot of bottlenecks and there are a lot of inefficiencies in the administrative side of things and the teaching side of things. Um, Like there are a lot of expectations on teachers for our evaluations, for example, and those expectations come from what parents want comes from school board discussions, they come from the state standards, they come from your administration, and you have to keep track of all of that, and you have to figure out what to put your effort into, and it's really overwhelming and confusing, and so one thought I've, one thought I've had about education is, like, how could we make this more efficient, and how could we make this less confusing for people? Another thing that I have started to see differently in education is practical life skills, because I think it's easy to just focus on theory and to teach what we think is important or what we think is cool. But when you're being taught something that actually applies to your own personal life, it becomes so much more interesting. Like in my business classes, I'll be so interested and so engaged because we're talking about things that I buy. We'll be talking about a company that I shop from, or we'll be talking about how to manage finances. And that's something that we have to do on on a daily basis. So that's made me see education differently because I want to make things more personally applicable for my students. Another thing is um, data. We talk a lot about using data to inform our decisions in business. And that's something that they talk about a lot in education. Like it's an expectation, but I don't think we've really figured out how to implement that perfectly yet. And so that's something that I've also thought about a lot. As far as seeing my business school differently as a teacher, at first I was really overwhelmed and intimidated because I thought my experience was so different from everybody else's that I wouldn't be able to contribute anything. But I've actually seen that my different skills are useful. And my interpersonal skills and critical thinking and ability to write and communicate are actually very useful in working in teams and contributing in the classroom, providing a different perspective. It's helped me actually gain a lot of confidence. Teaching is teaching is really challenging and it's um, made me into a more confident, more decisive person. And that has really helped me. In my business school experience.
0: What discoveries have you made about improving education in the classroom?
1: So I kind of mentioned this before as far as using actual data to inform our decisions instead of just doing what we feel like. That's one thing. And then another thing that I have thought about a lot is just how small adjustments can make a really big difference. For example, I love the projects in my business classes where we get to take a specific problem at work and then we apply the principles we've talked about in class to solve that problem because it's actually helping me solve a problem that I have in my everyday life. Or I love it when we, um, this is another example, we talked about Ben and Jerry's in my business strategy class and I couldn't stop thinking about it for a week. <laughs> it was like It was just so interesting because I'm obsessed with ice cream. So I think making small adjustments to give students choices that allow them to be interested could be huge.
0: Wait, so I, I want to know more about the Ben and Jerry's thing. What did you learn about in business school about Ben and Jerry's? Well, we talked about a case study that
1: um, went through the strategy of Ben and Jerry's when they got a new CEO at one point, and um, just how they how they designed their flavors is basically just. To that point, the CEO and creator had just been making the flavors that he liked, basically, and and so then the new CEO had to kind of come in and, and figure out what's our strategy going to be. Are we going to just keep doing things based on this person's feeling and whim? Because it had been working, but he just we just talked about how they adjusted for changing markets and you know people being more health conscious. Things like that, and um, but yeah, my the biggest takeaway
0: I had from it was I haven't had Ben and Jerry's in a long time. I'm gonna go buy some Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> so the so the marketing aspect of that, activity, <laughs> like the subliminal messaging, right? That the, the direct or I guess direct messaging that you're like, all right, that's what I'm gonna do. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, can you share specific ideas or strategies that classroom teachers can use to be more creative in their teaching? So
1: I could talk about this for a long time, but I think a lot of my ideas are not that original and other teachers are probably already doing them. But a couple of things that have really stood out to me recently, one is giving students choices. So like I mentioned, I love it when I get to choose how I'm going to apply the concepts that I've learned. And I saw this work so well this past year when I was teaching sixth grade social studies I have really struggled with how to teach about the Holocaust in a way that's effective and sensitive because it's the end of the school year and I'm so burned out. And so this year, this past year, I gave the students a choice. They got to choose a book to read about the Holocaust, and then they got to choose how they wanted to present what they learned. So they chose a book and then they chose if they wanted to write a poem or do a one-page display of all the information, or if they wanted to do an original piece of art. And it was amazing because even though they were all getting technically different information, they were all learning pretty much the same lessons and they were getting what I wanted them to get out of it. And it was a very personal experience for all of them. And so... That was a really good example to me of how giving students choices, even though we might be afraid that they won't choose what we want them to choose, if we give them a list of options and we let them choose, then they feel in control and it becomes their own personal learning and it becomes valuable and memorable for them. So that's one strategy that I want to use more is anytime I can give the students a list of options instead of just here's what you have to do. And then another thing I thought of was doing case studies. So this is a just taken straight out of business school. We spend a lot of time looking at Harvard Business Review case studies, and we look at a business and we look at what they did and what their problem was and how they approached that problem. And we analyze whether that was the right thing to do or not. So this is something that I would like to see more in, educa- in public education as well, because I think we spend a lot of time talking about concepts and talking about things in an itemized way and we go through this is all the information but it's amazing how much you can figure out on your own when you're looking at an actual real life example of that. And so I think that we could use this is something that I'm trying to do in my courses that I'm planning right now for this year is I want to take case studies and I let the students choose one example and then they have to figure out and pull out concepts from that that illustrate vocabulary and topics that we've been talking about in the class.
0: So tell us some of the technology that you would use in the classroom.
1: I love technology because it makes my life easier. And some of my favorite, favorite things are number one, Nearpod. So any teachers listening to this, if you haven't used Nearpod, I implore you, <laughs> try it out. It's the best. Um, I love Nearpod because you can put videos in there. You can put open-ended questions. You can go through it with your class together, Or if you're having a bad day, you can just tell everyone to put in headphones and go through it on their own. And if kids are gone, they can do it at home. It's the best. And then the other thing that I love, number two is called GimKit. And it's a quiz competition game similar to Quizlet Live or Kahoot. All of those are so much fun. Anytime you make something in a competition, people get into it. I love, love, love using GimKit. And I would challenge the kids to see if they could beat me. And sometimes they actually did, which is kind of embarrassing, but <laughs> they, they sabotaged me. <laughs> but yeah, so GimKit is a super, super fun one. It's really good for vocabulary review. And then I also love using Nuzella or Nuzela, depending on how you've heard it pronounced, because you can adjust for reading levels and you can accommodate different students. So if they have a read aloud accommodation, you can have it read out loud to them. You can change the reading level. And then there's automatic built-in quizzes. So you don't have to come up with a quiz on your own. So those are a few of the things that made my life a lot easier than I used all the time.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm trying to think of a few other tools that we used like frequently. But one of the things that Aubrey and I both did last year was that we used GimKit to review before our vocabulary quizzes. And the kids just did way better. Like if we had been consistent about playing for our starter or whatever every day, then those kids were doing a lot better. And I and Aubrey just told me I've just been doing GimKit. And so we both just did GimKit for our starters or whatever. And then the kids would do much better on their quizzes.
1: Yeah, I also used Kahoot a lot in my reading class and the students loved it. I actually, they got so into it that a couple kids got in a fight over the Kahoot. So we had to stop doing Kahoot. But like, that's how much engagement you get out of using quiz games, you know? So I love doing simulations too, because again, high engagement, high emotional involvement. Um, One example is for learning about the social structure in ancient Egypt. I secretly handed out everyone a role. So there were pharaohs and priests and peasants. and um, they They had to go around and try to fill in some notes. Everybody had different information that went on the notes. And depending on what role they had in society, that determined who they could ask for information and who they had to share information with. So the pharaoh... Didn't have to give anybody anything, but anyone that the pharaoh asked had to give them their information, and so they got this real life experience of what it's like to be stuck in that rigid social structure. And some of them get so upset, I'm like <laughs> no one's telling me anything, and it's like yeah, because you're a peasant, sorry. <laughs> and so I just stuff like that a lot. Oh, the other fun one is communism and capitalism how we just do rock paper scissors with candy let me tell you candy high stakes (laughs) it's crazy (laughs) but they would play rock paper scissors with each other and if they won then you know they got to keep one of the other person's candies and in capitalism they got to keep whatever they earn and so some kids were really sad because they had nothing and some had like 10 and then in communism no matter who won at the end i just redistributed to everyone and it was really interesting to see because some of the kids are like, I like it where everybody's the same. And some of the kids are like, I don't care if I got nothing. At least I had the chance to get more.
0: <laughs> right. But it just, it just made it a lot more fun. I love simulations. Well, you tell them about what we did? Not this year, but the year before for the Columbian Exchange. Uh, yeah.
1: Okay. One example of doing rotations and stations was for the Colombian Exchange. So we got a bunch of different food items that in some way are connected to the Colombian Exchange. And then we set them in bowls around the classroom. So there was like chocolate chips and oranges and wheat crackers and corn chips. And they had to go around and fill in information on their notes about where that food item came from, whether it was from the old world or the new world. And a lot of them were surprised by the things they didn't realize where they came from. And
0: they also got to have food. So they were super excited about it. Super thrilled. I'm trying to think of, I feel like there was another thing that became, oh, the Olympics.
1: Yeah, I forgot about this one. (laughs) Oh, the Olympics was so fun. So I decided to do a review game for the olympics. When we talked about ancient Greece, our review game was they were on teams and whoever got the question right got to compete in an olympic event, so to speak. So I had like stick horses for equestrian events and running where they had to like run in a circle in the hallway. We did javelin, which was actually just throwing pencils into a trash can. It was it was I had to be creative to make it school appropriate and safe, but it was really fun. I got really the
0: good. kids loved it. Also, you were really good at Aubrey was accommodating, like making things work for the classroom or making things, changing things so that they could actually work within the confines that you kind of had as a teacher. So that's also something you're really good at. How have you been able to connect with your students so that you can see success in the classroom?
1: I think the way I connect with students is just being honest with them. I don't necessarily always tell them what I think about everything, but I don't try to hide anything either, if that makes sense. So I'm honest with them. I tell them funny little stories about myself. I'm upfront when I make mistakes. I don't try to cover it up or act like I'm better than them. I sing a lot. I sing little songs that we learn together to memorize things, or I just sing a song that comes to my mind. And at first they feel really awkward, but later they start joining in. Um, (laughs) I'm just, I think I'm just unabashedly myself. I wear my Crocs a lot, or I wear cowgirl boots, or I just (laughs) wear interesting things that they like to comment on. And um, I don't think I'm the best teacher out there, but I just, I do love the kids a lot. And I I think I have an ability to love them and and care about them as people. And
0: I think they can feel that. So that makes up for a lot of other shortcomings. So I am curious, because maybe this is also part of it, you guys, is because I am, of course, a teacher who taught with Aubrey and I know things that got said and circulated. And I had some of her students from downstairs in my AVID classes. And there was one of them who had posted Aubrey as her profile picture and had and called her Queen Glazier. That's who she, that's how she addressed Aubrey Glazier. So if that's any, like, if that does anything to like show how much her students loved her, she has a really great connection with her students. So it's one of her superpowers. And I am curious about if you were running your own school, what training would you give your teachers? How would you change things up from what you had in your training? So if I were running my own school, I would take, again,
1: something directly out of business school. I would give a different PLC team structure, professional learning community teams. I would train all of the teachers to run their teams the way that I learned in my team's class in my MBA. Because it's amazing when you intentionally structure your team a specific way. The results are incredible. It's so much more effective when you meet together. And I know that for a lot of teachers, maybe I'm just projecting this, my own opinion on everyone else, but I I feel like I've heard a lot of people (laughs) express similar concerns. I think for a lot of teachers, the meetings that we have are a point of frustration and stress because a lot of times they either feel like a waste of time where we could have been doing something more productive because we have a million things to do, or they get off topic, or we spend a lot of time trying to solve a problem that there isn't an answer to. And so the way we learned to structure teams in my MBA program was you're assigned a team, you have to create a contract where you establish norms and consequences for violating those norms. You establish a A mission statement and what your values are as a team. You give everybody a specific role and you outline what their responsibilities are. And then every so often we evaluate each other on those roles and norms, just to check up and make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to. So for example, there's a timekeeper, a note taker, a leader, an agenda person, all those things that need to be done. So we don't waste any time in our meetings saying like, okay, so who's going to write this down? Or do you have the document open? or You know, just all those little things that waste time. And then we stay on track and, and we got our work done and everybody knew what they were supposed to do. And it worked so smoothly. And I just think we should be doing that in our school communities.
0: And could you tell me some of the norms that your team would have?
1: Yeah, so we had... A norm to stay focused on the topic at hand. And we also had a norm that was respecting each other's time. So one of the norms is you arrive on time and we end on time. And so there's actually a person who is in charge of keeping track of the conversation. And if we are getting off topic, or we're jumping ahead to something that we're not talking about yet, or if we're spending too long on something that needs to be tabled, then their job is to say, "All right, we're going to come back to this later," or "Okay, we've spent enough time on this," and they don't look like a jerk who's just trying to be annoying or be rude because we all know that's their job. And we all decided collectively that was their job.
0: Aubrey, have you been able to apply teaming in your current educational role?
1: Yeah, so actually I have a new job this year where the the school district is creating a new online program. And so everything we're doing is new and I'm on the high school team. And so we are doing a ton of problem solving, figuring out how we want to do things, establishing precedents. And at the very beginning, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to sit through a bunch of meetings with all of these awesome people and just have us be wondering, where are we going with this? What are we trying to accomplish? Like, I'm going to lose my mind if we, if we spend all our time not having like a clear focus, clear goal, clear rules. And so I said in our first meeting, I said, okay, everyone, I had this class about teams in my MBA and this is what we learned. Would you be open to trying this in our team? And everyone was like, yes, great idea. I'm like, okay, that was easy. So we established some roles. We spent a good chunk of time discussing what we wanted our expectations to be of each role. And we each chose the role that we thought would fit us best, or we kind of, you know, chose people that we thought would do it well. And it's been great. It has helped our meetings run really smoothly and For me, it's been really helpful because I know exactly what's expected of me in this role that otherwise is a little bit nebulous because it's new and there's no former structure for how it's supposed to be because everything is a new program.
0: So it's been really helpful and we've all loved it. Okay. That's so great. That would be amazing. (laughs) I think... I think we tried. I feel like there was an effort made to create those norms. Like these are the norms during IPLCs or during whatever, like we would review the norms. I just feel like they weren't obeyed. Yeah. And that's the key with actually
1: as a team developing a contract and then having everybody clearly establish what their role is. And you sign the document saying, I agree to do this and we're all on the same page. When you actually have the team create those norms together, it makes a huge difference. And it's the team creation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're if you're a part of that process, then you're more committed to
0: it, I think. How does administration offer support to educators in the ideal world? Rather than being a hindrance, I just feel like administration can really get hit hard by educators. Because they can be viewed as kind of a hurdle rather than as a helper.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really valid question. And I think our administration, the past few years that we've been working together, I think they're actually really good examples of being supportive instead of being a hindrance. And so I have had really positive experiences with that, thankfully. And some of the the key logistical things they did were canceling meetings when they weren't necessary. Like I said, meetings can be a point of stress for people. And if it's not necessary and what we were going to talk about can be summed up in an email, they would send out an email. And I appreciated that so much. I know we all appreciated that so much. So just respecting people's time and not having meetings for the sake of having meetings, but just making everything very purposeful. Like If we're going to have a meeting, it's because I need to talk to you about this. Um, And then they also really listened to the teacher's feedback about what was and was not working. They weren't trying to just take control and impose their will upon others. They were really trying to listen and do it with best for the whole community. And so they would take into account our opinions. And if we didn't like the way things were being run, they would make changes. And that also was really great because I felt like my opinion was heard. And if there was something that was out of their power and they couldn't change for reasons beyond their control, they would express that and they would let us know that it wasn't them trying to exert control over something that, you know, wasn't really in their power. So, um, and then I also like that they gave us time when we did trainings or professional development, a lot of times they would make it pretty short and give us time to actually implement it and work on it and help us along with that process instead of just giving us a big information dump and then being like, good luck. I hope you find time for this. And then aside from those logistical things, I think in general, they just really had an attitude of being supportive. It's kind of hard to describe or define, but you could just feel that they cared about us and that they had our survival as a priority and our well-being as a priority. I think in an ideal world, all administration all administrators would be able to give that impression that the teachers would feel supported and like they're on their side. And um, the uh, the other thing in an ideal world that this is not as realistic, but in my ideal world, the administrators would have the perfect answers for dealing with the students who don't respond to our intervention strategies because that is so difficult to do and I think there's a lot of promising research that's going to be leading to some different ways of managing that. But that was, I think that's, that's the reason that I would never want to get into administration. So I'm just
0: grateful for them being willing to take on the challenge of, of helping out those. Students. Yeah, I think that's a really mature attitude is to take on that, the perspective of like, they don't know exactly what to do with these kids either. Like you're, you're struggling and you're confused. Guess what? It's really hard once you like remove the experience that even you have with that child to an administrator who now has to navigate who this kid is and try to have a community have a conversation with them and yet try to create an implemented consequence that's going to be effective for that specific student. Um and then how does organization assist a teacher in the classroom? Since that's one of your superpowers, tell us about organization. You're so nice. Thank you.
1: <laughs> I don't always feel super organized, but anything I do with organization is with the goal of making things easier for myself later. Having a structure, having a format, having a form of organization just makes it easier to find things later. You don't waste time digging through files. You don't uh, waste time or have to worry about forgetting what you did for something. And then honestly, for me, a huge benefit of organization is being able to share and help other teachers because like I said I would not have survived my first year without the bounteous, plentiful wealth of resources shared with me by other teachers. And it was so nice when a teacher would send me, you know, here's this Google Drive folder and there's a calendar and on that calendar is a link to the the Google Doc for the assignment for that day it was so beautiful to be able to just take a folder of stuff and make sense of it and use it because that saved my life. It, it saved me. I did not have time to come up with that much stuff. I had three different classes I was prepping for and it was such a blessing. And so I want to be able to pay it forward and do that for other teachers as well. And if everything's organized nicely, I don't have to sit down with them and explain everything. I can just send them a link and be like, here's all my stuff. And it makes sense and they can use it. And and so, It's just a really easy way to make a difference and help other teachers. And then they don't have to waste time creating things that I've already created.
0: Yeah, it's the the team aspect and and people sharing generosity and education can be so beautiful. So if the world was your oyster, how would formal education look in your ideal world? That is such a big question.
1: And I could say a lot of things about this, but I'm going to narrow it to my one biggest thing, which is people wouldn't expect quite as much of teachers. And that would mean that every student has someone in their household who cares deeply about their education because we love these kids so much and we support them so much, but we can't be everything for them. And it makes such a difference when they have someone at home that cares about their education. And the reality is that a lot of them don't have that and kids need someone to hold them accountable. And I'm not saying that to be critical because I think everybody is this way. Like who of us is just entirely intrinsically self-motivated. Like we're really not. We, especially when you're growing up and developing, like you need to know that somebody cares whether you succeed or not. And so in my perfect world, every kid would have that. To motivate them and it wouldn't be expected that the teachers are that for everyone. You can make a difference to a lot of kids, but you you can't be everything for everyone.
0: How have others in education and life helped you grow and expand as a person, business student and educator, and child of God? How have how have others helped you? Like I said, I would not have survived my
1: first year teaching without the support of other people, just giving of their time and materials and expertise and sharing their talents. Same thing in my business classes. We do so much group work and there's no way I would have gotten through some of those classes without my great teams who had different skills than I do. And so I've learned so much about working with others, asking for help, being honest about your weaknesses, but also being willing to offer your strengths. And one thing that has really stood out to me lately is just seeing people stand up for something that they believe in. Because I've had a lot of experiences where I felt like I couldn't really express myself or felt scared to speak up with a contrarian view. And I've seen others do that, and it's given me courage to do so as well. And I've come to learn that I can disagree with people professionally, and we can still have mutual respect and still be great friends. I think I was always afraid that if I openly disagreed with someone, then we wouldn't be able to talk anymore. And that's just ridiculous. Like we need to be able to have open dialogue about things that we disagree about. And so I've gained so much courage and inspiration from people who are willing to speak up with an unpopular view or a different view. And I've learned from my business classes too, that that's actually like one of the most valuable things that you can do in a team is avoid just coming to a consensus too quickly. You have to challenge your assumptions. You have to challenge what the group is just automatically assuming because that's how you make progress. And I think with that, just the, I'll call it a crucible of teaching because sometimes it really is so hard. It's made me so much more confident because dealing with all those challenges has shown me that I can deal with those challenges. Every time I get through another day, I'm like, okay, I made it through that day. Next time I have a day like that, I'm like, I did this once, I could do it again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> last time. Um, and so with that, I've really had to you asked how um others in education have helped me grow as a child of God too. And that's that's huge that I as I've gone through those challenges, I've really had to learn to rely on God and His plan for me. Because some days I'm so exhausted and I'm like, why did I feel inspired to do this? Or is this really where I'm supposed to be? And I just have to rely on him and, and trust that everything has a purpose. And I feel right now at this moment, I feel like I've been so blessed and I've been given so many opportunities and, and I can see how much I've grown and how much confidence I've gained from overcoming those challenges, even though it's really difficult at the beginning.